Lost and Sound is sponsored by Audio Technica. This year, it's the company's 60th anniversary. Audio Technica are a global but still family-run company that make affordable products, headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones. They made the first mic I ever owned. They continue to make stuff that I use, stuff that you most likely use, because they believe that high-quality audio should be accessible to all. So head on over to audiotechnica.com to check out all of their range of stuff. Okay, it's uh, another beautiful fresh morning in Berlin. And you're listening to Lost and Sound. How's it going? I'm Paul Hamford. I'm a writer, an author, a presenter, and welcome to Lost and Sound, the podcast where we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the artists that do their own unique thing. And we talk about life and the things that inspire us to make the things that we make, because beautiful things don't come out of a hierarchy of knowledge, but out of sharing. Past guests have included Peaches, Jim O'Rourke, Chili Gonzalez, Letitia Sadie, Ghost Poet, Roman Flugel, Ellen Alien, Jan Tiersen, and so, so, so many more. And today, you're going to hear a conversation I had with Elliot Williams and Benjamin John Power of Editors. Head on over to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hamford, where you get extra regular mini episodes, access to field diaries, occasional video episodes, exclusives from time to time on new pieces of writing that I'm working on, a Discord channel. Um, yeah, that's my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanford. My book, Coming to Berlin, is out now on Velocity Press. Right. Okay. So, editors. And when I first got approached into having editors on, I was initially a little bit surprised as well as a bit cautious and, you know, if I'm going to be honest, a bit reluctant um, because I wasn't sure that they're really a lost and sound kind of people. That's not to say I haven't enjoyed the music. I could picture many, many, many times in the early to mid noughties that on indie dance floors in the southwest of England, I danced my little arse off to Munich and Blood. Of course, editors... Mercury nominated triple platinum selling indie rock band who formed in 2002 in Birmingham first rode into public consciousness with anthems like the aforementioned Munich and Blood and this was a time in the mid-noughties that was so exciting for guitar music predominantly in the UK and in New York and editors rode on the crest of this and has since maintained a stadium size career and I think because of that because they operate in that world you know they 
they didn't really feel like a fit despite really enjoying the music for for what I do um, you know I, I focus on the underground I focus on people that are working outside mostly no matter how successful they are of 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 the mainstream and although I wouldn't call editors mainstream there there are more commonalities there let's say um, but but what really, really surprised me was getting the album, finding out that the album is called EBM, by the way, and it's called that because it stands for Editors Blank Mass. And, and they've hooked up with a new member, Benjamin John Power. Benjamin, perhaps better known as the aforementioned Blank Mass, and one half of the legendary drone rock duo Fuck Buttons, as Blank Mass, Benjamin has released five albums, one on Ivan Novello. The track Sundowner was used at a key point during the Olympic Games in 2012. And for me, what really, really, really sort of when I think of uh, Blank Mass, I think of the use of the track that Benjamin made, Chernobyl, appearing in Shane Meadows' psychedelic folk horror masterpiece a field in england at such a sort of trippy hallucinogenic point in the film and, and one of those moments where music and film and the haunted if you've seen it i'm sure you know exactly exactly what you what scene i mean it's one of those scenes that you just never forget once you've seen it's sort of terrifying moment with we Shearsmith emerging out of a tent and just the way the the music and the, the visuals and the performance combined can just never be like unseen and you know I've just found this the idea of of blank blank mass joining editors as a permanent full-time proper member such an unusual and interesting proposition and the work that they've uh, they've just about to put out or when you're listening to this maybe i've already put out as editors on the new album ebm is really really interesting the album with that title obviously references in a non-direct way in a very playful way the ebm music of the 80s and perhaps early 90s like nitsa ebb and skinny puppy um yeah so a chat was arranged and this is what happened when I caught up with Elliot Williams and Benjamin John Power of Editors. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Where are you and, and how's it going? Currently in Bristol uh, in rehearsals for tour and rehearsals for me, me joining and starting to play live. Uh, so... Yeah, these guys having to be patient whilst I learn all the parts. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, good we're, though, we're yeah. about a, a week and a bit into rehearsals. Yeah, it's, go, it's going really well so far. Yeah, it's quite, uh, it's quite good fun having someone and another pair of arms. Yeah, coming together, um, and you know, you both uh, two two kind of separate entities, really. You know, Elliot, you represent bands, and uh, Ben, everything you've done with Blank Mass and. Um, fuck buttons as well and um coming together i mean it, it it seems like it's been a little while in the process hasn't it you know like so you actually started collaborating a few years ago and i was wondering if you could sort of talk me through yeah. how, how it all came together to begin with well I, you know I, I i received a phone call um 
from a friend about five years ago or something yeah, like that. Two, when did we do? Yeah, violence around 2018, 2019. Yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of out of the blue saying, you know, uh, editors want your contact details. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Let's see what all this is about. And then it turns out they wanted some, um, you know, another set of ears or, you know, maybe to try working um, with somebody new on violence. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I jumped on board and <clears throat> helped produce some of those tracks. And then, and then, and then I guess we just kind of stayed in touch and continued to carry on working together in one way or another. There was a conversation that we had about um, editors had been asked to play a festival and they've been given another night on another stage to do something like uh, so, something new, you know, <clears throat> kind of whatever they wanted to do, really. Yeah, yeah we spoke about, we've kind of done like a lot of acoustic type things in the past. Mm. We definitely didn't want to do that. And having, you know, worked with Ben um, previously, we thought maybe, you know, as, as a band, we're quite all fans of like electronic music. And we thought, let's do something maybe that's more electronic or maybe, you know, slightly more club led. Um, you know, if you're headlining a festival, then it, it might be quite fun to go and reimagine some editors' songs in a more club kind of way with Ben. And we started having that conversation. You came to a show in, Glasgow. In Glasgow. Yep. And then the pandemic happened and it was going to be the summer after. And then we were kind of throwing ideas around together, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. And then obviously because there was a pandemic on, we were just like, why don't we just try something new? Because, you know, that's, we've got time on our hands. If, yeah. if it feels good, then maybe we'd play that summer after. And we did Karma Climb together. And that kind of felt like, oh, actually this is, maybe there's something more exciting here than yeah. just going over old editors' songs. Let's do another one. Yeah. And then, yeah, the bones of a record started to happen, I guess, over the course of, <clears throat> of six months. We had sort of five tracks, really, five, six tracks. So yeah. it, it just kind of developed naturally from then. I think get, our initial interest in, in Ben was we when we were working on violence, we were working in Oxford. And kind of, it was not a, a difficult record, but we were definitely like feeling like, oh, we need a bit of like a kick up the bum here, just a bit of inspiration. And we were, you know, every night after we'd rehearsed, we'd like hang around together, listen to music, drink beers and stuff. And we kept coming back to World Eater, a Ben's Blank Mass record. And was like, oh, man, this record's so good. Like, you know, I wonder, I wonder if Ben would be interested in Justin, who knows everyone <laughs> everywhere, yeah, yeah. was like, I, you know, flicked through his little black book and was like, yeah. you know, I think I, you know, I think I might have an, an in to, you know, speak to Ben. And that was kind of it, really. And we just kind of remained chatting and, and you know, obviously in each other's thoughts a bit that well, I think when this happened, then it was kind of like, you know, yeah, let's, you know, instead of just trying to do, we talked about doing my side projects and then just the more that we got into it, the more it felt like, you know, it's an, it's an editor's record with Tom's voice on it and it's kind of like well you know, I'd we'd all love to have Ben in the band and try and try and do this thing properly so yeah that's kind of how it all en ended up panning out. That's amazing and Ben you described it uh, as being like an, uh, a leap of faith I believe to to, to join yeah. the band. <clears throat> well yeah because you know I've been operational as a solo entity for so many years and obviously you know editors have a huge history and a huge fan base and um, 
uh, and you know, uh, or also a kind of like functioning, well-oiled machine, you know, touring and studio band. So coming coming into something like that as a bit of an outsider, well, well not really, a, not not a complete outsider because we, you know, we had worked together. But I mean, actually joining properly, you know, <clears throat> as an official new member, there's obviously a healthy level of um, what's the word? No, what's the word I'm looking for here? You're just, you're just very aware that they, uh, you know, are, are a tight unit and and, and everything. So it's a, you know a, a little bit intimidating, but um, I had the, you know, the added bonus of already being very good friends with them all, uh, and you know there was an understanding there. So um, yeah, I think that was the leap of faith thing. Really, it's just coming from being operational as a solo thing for such a long time into like this machine <laughs> you know mm. so yeah, did you yeah. feel a little bit like the new boy you, you know the, the new guy at a workplace you know like did they ask you for a long wait or whatever yeah like i mean they're, they're constantly <laughs> bullying me yeah yeah he's <laughs> still being initiated yeah that's right <laughs> and, and like for, for um when you know so you say like you recorded the, the was began recording the album during the pandemic or the kind of genesis of, of like it actually being an album and you know you joining uh, and the the uh during the pandemic and I was wondering if if having a new member and from a different discipline although one that Elliot you always not listen to uh changed the way you approach sound because obviously at the time you can't, you couldn't kind of play live as well like was it did it kind of give you like a free reign to kind of just kind of go into the studio and use the studio as a sort of more of a you know palette yeah I mean I think massively I think this this record ended up being a very entirely different way of us working anyway because of the isolation of making a record during a pandemic there wasn't actually a chance where we could get into a studio so mm. it was kind of like a, a circle of emails that was just going on and, and me and ben were sending sessions back and forth you know and i think that's kind of how it developed really it was someone would take the session away for like a week work on it and then send it back and then it'd be like you know a bit of like a I guess kind of a bit like a book club where mm. you come back at the end of the week and we discuss it and then uh, someone else would take the session away and and work on it so I think not working in a studio and not working under the pressure of five people over your your ear all the time was actually quite freeing in the way that I think I got a lot to do a lot more production and stuff and go into things probably a lot more in depth than mm. you would do in a, a studio or in a room with people because, you know, when you work with a band, it's quite often like, well, you can't just sit and program and do automation for five hours on your own. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it was quite freeing in that way of working. And I think bringing Ben into the mix was great, but there was also like an element of, of you know, what Ben does can be quite full on. And I guess my job in some ways is to try and make sure that Tom, we could get like Tom's vocals to sit in stuff. Like mm. Ben doesn't tend to do loads of things with, you know, straight up vocals. So it's was, it was that kind of, I guess, trying to get the balance of the rawness and, and aggressiveness of Ben and also manage to get the kind of band element to sit in it as well. Yeah. Mm. And, I, and I think such was the, pro, well, the time that this process was happening that I don't, you know, ob obviously, uh, it being a new, a new thing for me, writing with, you know, a bunch of other people. But I feel like we all kind of shared the same mentality in that um, we 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 kind of 
had uh, an end goal for the original idea for the project, which was to be in a festival, at a festival in a field, you know, late night kind of club centric thing. Um, but, you know, after, after that, we didn't, we weren't necessarily as boxed in creatively in that way because we didn't know what was going to be happening with these tracks. You know, we were, we were, we were essentially just doing it for the love of collaborating and, you know, um, yeah, it, together. It really felt like kind of organic at that process yeah. because we yeah. weren't, we didn't go, oh, we're making an editor's record now. It's mm. kind of just like, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're making got, some songs together. We've got time. Yeah. Like, let's just keep going. There yeah. wasn't like a blueprint of like, there was no further plans than, you know, it's kind of like, well, no one knows how long this is going on for, or, or you know, whether we're actually going to get back to playing mm. you know, music and touring again at all. So it was, it was quite yeah. freeing for all of us to just go, let's just do it because we fucking love doing this. And, yeah. And also, I guess we didn't have like record companies breathing down our necks whilst we were doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't that. like, you know, um, everybody was in uh, reasonably awful, well, everyone was in, the awful global situation that we all found ourselves in. But we, you know, we also found ourselves in a position where it's like, well, the, the, this kind of feels like a, a moment of freedom because nobody knows exactly what's going to happen with this and neither did we. We, we could, I, I feel like we could be uh, as weird and wonderful as we wanted to and just experiment writing with each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I mean, I love that. I love that. So it must have been sort of because it was such a kind of a strange, dark time. But to kind of like use that uh, in a in a creative way, you know, and and like the record as well. It's got like you know, it has got the kind of feeling of sort of dread and paranoia in it that that you know, and melancholy as well. You know, was that? I mean, that's always been there in editors' music, I guess. But that's because we're all dreadful and paranoid. <laughs> yeah, I know. Do you think? Do you think? Did that feel like it was increased more because of the kind of the, the kind of weirdness of the times? Yeah. <laughs> who, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think it, you know subconsciously. I yeah. Guess. I think we're, we're, we're all sponges to a degree in that sense. You know, we are like uh, manifestations of our surroundings and everyday ongoing. So I think that without, you know, you, you can say to a certain level of certainty that that will have had some kind of impact. Mm. And is that quite important for both of you as artists to uh, to act, to sort of use, kind of be like a sponge and to just let things, whatever's going on in the world or yourself just kind of filter through and maybe like a kind of a natural not thinking about it too much way into into what you do. I think that's it. I don't, I don't think, you know, as a band, we've ever tried to think about things too much. Mm. And you sort of end up being led by experimentation or sound mm. a lot more than, you know, a, a, a direct thought of I'm going to do this and I'm going to achieve it. It's more like mm. you kind of feel your way around. But I do think things, everything that, you know, it's whether you make a record in a place or there's different things going on in the world. I don't think it, it, it does seep into stuff. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's acting in, instinctively, but, you know, this instinct has has to be shaped somehow. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, um, I mean, I know it's a, quite a different off-piece example to bring in, but I wouldn't talk about that. I always think of like those great Rolling Stones albums from the late 60s and early 70s, like Exile and Main Street and Sticky Fingers mm -hmm. that, that just seem to sort of like filter through just in a really naturalistic way, whatever was going on with them at the time, whether that they were exiled in France or, or mm -hmm. anything like that. You know. Totally. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, even if you're if you even if you're not um, making a, a political statement, and you know, this isn't uh, I'm not referencing our record and experience here. This is a bit more broad in general. Like, you know, I, I think you know, as as you said, even if you're not trying to make that that statement, you're affected by it somehow, and that's going to seep into your psyche, and ultimately is probably going to in inform in somewhere or another the, the art you make and the creative process so mm. and you know i was going to make a bad pun about ed- not editing too much on on what you let in <laughs> but i've kind of done it anyway well you know i mean but there's some truth in that well we weren't really too much yeah. <laughs> uh, in the initial in the initial stages of the process no we were like yeah yeah and, and like i mean i mean obviously a lot of what we've talked about so far is reflected in the name of the album as well which is kind of like has a double meaning of uh, ebm editors blank mass and also uh kind of reference to electronic body music which you know i can hear kind of creeping in in the album and a lot of the rhythms and a lot of the intensity and stuff you know i've always loved like nights forever and i'm in berlin so obviously home of einstein oh, yeah. and never been yeah. able to pronounce still can't pronounce them properly even though i know Alexander Hacker, but Einstein and Neubauten. That's better than mine. That's better than mine. <laughs> it took me years, by the way, and being corrected multiple times. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> were you ever were you ever corrected by Germans on that? No, I, 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 a good friend of mine actually, who is Australian, must have let me say it in some one way or another for about five years and then afterwards said you know you've been saying that wrong for the past five years and I'm like well fucking thanks for telling me <laughs> <laughs> a bit like say like if you've got a bogey on your nose and it's you know it's like do you tell someone or not you know in a lot of ways yeah. you might offend them but you could also sort of be helping them out a little bit Definitely. it's essentially bullying <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I purposely don't if if someone says gets the name of a, a a film star wrong that's in the film we're talking about I kind of often leave it I don't you know because it's usually they're talking about something else really and I, th- I think there's a I think there's a sensitive way to correct somebody perhaps mm. probably probably yeah. yeah I mean yeah, yeah I, I mean I always call no, it's uh, to me that's because well, I'm that, English <laughs> oh and that's not how you pr- pronounce it um well I st- did I say Knights of Reb? Yeah, I've always said Nitzarab. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you probably are right because I think there's a lot of words that I probably read more than I say as well. Right. Like, you know, yeah. I probably don't have that many conversations with people about Nitzarab on the street. So <laughs> it's sort of, yeah. it's yeah. whatever I was reading in Enemy when I was 16, really. It's reasonably niche. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but how did, how did these, um, like, uh, for you guys, how did these influences kind of, uh, you know, because obviously you've kind of crowned a little bit of a reference to it with the album the title you know what was the sort of process of these influences and kind of like owning these influences with i think it's something that like you know a number of us in the band and certainly elliot and i are very interested in um electronic music and i, and I feel like um i don't really know it, it almost feels like it might have been one of those kind of late night conversations that we might have had in Glasgow after a show yeah. or something like that. I mean, you know? it was, it was um, always supposed to be like a slight gag. Like, yeah, you know, I think when we were discussing doing the show, I was like, let's not put it as, 
as an edited show, why don't we have it as something different? Yeah. And then we would uh, just have it as EBN. Yeah. And then people go, oh, you know, what the fuck is this EBN thing or whatever? <laughs> and then it was, you know, it's obviously editors blank maths. But I think when we started working together, you know, initially in my brain, there's a slight concept of, of the world that Ben kind of comes from and, you know, the sort of lineage of editors and New Order and that kind of post-punk thing. Mm. I kind of felt like it might all sit in like an EBM world. And I'm like very aware yeah. now that the record is not a direct, like, it's not what you would call classic EBM. Do you know what no. I mean? There's not the shitty vocals. It's quite a melodic record, really. But I think a lot of the production that me and Ben like, whether... You know, that's, that's coming from lineage of bands like Depeche Mode, which I think mm. you can say there's a lot of mm. EBM there. The records that Flood has made. I don't there was just so, there was so many things that like, obviously we were playing in Belgium, which I think you could say is one of the, well, our label Piaz had the kind of yeah. defining compilation. It was just kind of, was just like, we've got to call this like EBM or something. It's got to be like, <laughs> And yeah. I'm very aware that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to go, well, this is this is not an EBM record. <laughs> yeah. But I think there are a couple of like sonic references that kind of almost we stumbled upon almost serendipitously, actually, with with um, with regards to the, the title of the record and, and you know, the sonics of it. I feel like there are, you know, I mean, there are harps, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's a shit ton of harps. Lots um, of yeah, a lot of those like eight gated, gated snare sounds. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that we all love music from that 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 period and by those bands, like stylistically, yeah. it's like you know, kind of kind of mutual, mutual playground really. But yeah, but I don't think it was like we we decided this project was going to be called EBM and then went out looking for like tropes related to the EBM genre. Yeah. It just kind of more you know, we we didn't have a name for um the the album for quite some time after, you know, even after we'd been in in uh, the the studio that we took it to afterwards, but it just seemed to like it seemed silly not to, yeah. you know. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I think, yeah, it's it's just a nice, nice, nice reference to edit as blank mass as well, which I think mm. is the first of kind of a new chapter as well. So yeah, mm. but it just felt it kind of felt natural, but we were, we're very aware that some people are probably going to be really pissed off. But I kind of like that as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of part you know, of the parcel, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I've, I mean, for me, like I, I really, you know, my interpretation of the, um, the album is like I, I really love the way it kind of, uh, you know, it's not a direct, you know, it's not like sort of, you know, when you two did that pop album and when, yeah. you know, it's, it's more like it's, it's an undercurrent and it kind of manifests in in ways like I was thinking of like the single vibe. And, you know, mm. there, there's melodic aspects of music from that era as well that kind of comes through, that comes from New Beat as well. But I have to admit that single, like something about the chanting in it reminds, and this is meant as a really good compliment, um, it, it reminded me of Falco. Um, right. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in Germany and obviously Falco's kind of very, very highly regarded here. And, you know, and he's done mm. some absolute bang, he did some absolute bangers. And, yeah. and there's a sort of flamboyant edge to the, to, yeah. references and stuff and I wondered if that was like sort of you kind of felt like you're sort of almost like daring yourselves to kind of go a little bit more erasure here or bring out a little bit more of the kind of this and that there you know I think that's you know another where we found a lot of mutual ground was in 
lot of love for 80s music and yeah. definitely erasure came yeah. up a lot oh for sure mm. yeah um and also yeah again just going back to the thing about being free and not like you know there's no there's no sh- I, I, I believe that there should be no shame when experimenting do you know what i mean with regards to that that kind of thing um but you know you know we we do all love pop music too you know so I think like it, I think, yeah, that, that one can, it, it, it does, it does seem kind of pompous. It's, 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 it's a cheeky number, isn't it? It's a cheeky one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. Like I talk about like the kind of 80s pop. I, I'm sort of taking it, you probably kind of grew up with um, some part of your early part of your lives with, with 80s pop just kind of naturally being in, in your environment like myself. Yeah. And, and yeah. I wanted to kind of go and talk about like your, your upbringing and, and like these kind of moments of music, like uh, do you, what, you know, when, cause I think like ages somehow is like so nostalgic to people within our age group, but also seems to extend to like people in their twenties and stuff still. What, what would you think is the sort of thing that makes that era of pop music still so damn good really like even like people like falco a lot of a lot of these synthesizers that i i love and i know al loves as well mm. were kind of like born in around that time you know like the oberheim and stuff like that i think has definitely been a staple of what i do for quite a long time and you know and it really did seep its way into this record i i, I feel like it was it was a it was a good time for synths wasn't it really mm. I think it's like for me the 80s it's in some ways it's kind of the, the it's the, the pinnacle of amazing record studios yeah with amazing hardware analog equipment yeah with incredible producers and an amazing amount of money in the record yes. industry yeah. which allowed i think artists the freedom to experiment on uh you know, slightly more avant-garde or, you know, ideas that probably came from the back end of Bowie, like Low, etc. And then, you know, still artists who had massive pop sensibilities were able to do records that would still go on to sell, you know, mm. millions of records mm. that you kind of, yeah, and radio would play it as well. You don't, you don't sort of have that anymore. Like, I kind of think of like, you know, Ultravox, Vienna. Can, yeah. you, can you ever imagine that coming back <laughs> on radio? It's like those kind of mini dramas that are made in like the most expensive studios of all time with insane engineers, insane analog equipment, a lot of new check technology coming through from since. Yeah. Pre, sort of pre, a very early computer, but also pre-computer. Yeah, mm. I think some of those records won't really be made now because you know programming like I don't know the drums on a Tears for Fears record would have taken so long to yeah. do. Yeah, but it does have that warmth that you get from like I don't know uh, probably what they use DMX or a Lindrum. A Lindrum, I was just going to say. Yeah, you know, those records, they have yeah. a certain sound to them that I think people now would just go I can't be bothered to program it I'll just use samples or, yeah yeah and you know the machines all have a swing to them they're not mm. you know they're not all totally gridded and on the time yeah there's like there's yeah. those sequences from that time all have their own sort of timing that must have taken a long time to get everything in time in a nice way but I think it does add like a sort of magical quality to the yeah music. absolutely 
And then with some of the like more kind of left field pop stuff, like, you know, like, um, what is it? The Chris and Cozy October Love Song? Is that mm. what it is? That's a pop track, essentially, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? But I mean, there, there was so much experimenting going on with these with these machines at the time. Um, that, yeah, again, like, you know, it, it's a lot of producers now might not really have the time or patience to actually get inside these machines in the same way that, not only like the bigger acts did in the eighties, but you know the more yeah, underground ones did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, like even even like something like you know you could never imagine having like something like moments of love, moments of love, um, yeah, part yeah. of noise now, which is like a massive hit, but it's like it's kind of almost like it's kind of weird erotic elevator music. Yeah, totally. I think it's for me. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are into their sixties and seventies, but it's just such an interesting period in, in in music where I think technology and songwriting kind of came to a, a head really. And I guess you you know we're both we're you know we were both children of the 80s exactly. as well. Do you know what mm. I mean? That was that was you know our, probably our first uh well you know definitely our first kind of ex- uh, the way we experience pop music that you know kind of echoes echoes with us now I, I would say nostalgic hit that you yeah and can you remember any like particular like childhood sorts of songs that sort of really still resonate with you like that might have come from like a kind of uh, early memory of falling off a bmx or 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 i just just had one now in in as you talk about that is I really remember being in the back of my mum's car and hearing "Time After Time" by oh, Cindy Lauper. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, um, I mine, mine's a bit weird because I, the, the first vinyl that I was ever bought. This is a little long-winded, so bear with me. Go for it. The vinyl that I was ever bought was "You're in the Army Now" by Status Quo. <gasps> the first record that my brother was ever bought was Popcorn, and we swapped. But it wasn't the Gershon Kingsley original. It was the hot butter, 80s kind yeah, of popcorn. Yeah. So that's like my kind of like almost one of my first kind of musical memories. And it's that version, you know. It's not the original yeah. Gershon Kingsley version. So, so yeah, yeah. It's a sort of very kind of, that, is, that, is that the version that's got the kind of the sort of very sort of military-ish drumming? Or not military, but it's kind of sort of, very pacey kind of drumming. Kind of loose drumming. I think that might yeah. actually be the kind, like the um, that might be the Gershon Kingsley version. Mm. But the, but I think yeah, I, you know, it it sounds like an eighties version of that. Yeah. Hot, hot butter, I'm sure they. I'm sure it's called hot butter. Yeah, definitely a definitely a YouTube after this to go oh, yeah, and, go and, go and yeah. sort of go and sort of check that out. And and I kind of wanted to ask you as well about like. Um, um, you know, like, because both of you, you, you kind of roughly started your kind of, hate using the word professional when it comes to music, but for lack of a better word, kind of professional. Full-time. Yeah, full-time. you're full-time, full-time. Music is roughly in the same sort of, roughly the kind of same sort of era, you know. And for me personally, I, I was kind of listening to Fuck Buttons on one ear and then going to an indie club and moshing yeah. to Munich in, in yeah. you know, at the yeah. weekends and stuff like that. And I, I was wanting to know, so for you guys, what, what do you, what have you noticed in these like almost 20 years that you feel has really, really, really changed in, in the environment around you musically? That's, that's a big, that's, that's, a, a, that's, a, that's big, a biggie. It's, it's yeah. a biggie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's a big one. Well, um, 
it could be less like a defining statement and maybe more just like, you know, because that is quite a, that's probably like a thesis. <laughs> I, I think, I think there still is a parallel between indie music and electronic music, but it's not, it's not quite as, I don't know, maybe there's not as many vanguards as there was like, I think, you no, know, I think time, when we had Electro Clash, I think that was like a real kind of like <laughs> combining moment for a second and yeah. then everything just went, whoops. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, like there's a lot of like electronic artists that I would still say have indie tendencies or indie roots mm. in, in, you know, someone like that, Daniel Avery has definitely come from a more, mm. I guess, shoegazy probably you know band band kind of world same mm. with high mm. uh, always in a band wasn't she so i think there's still elements of indie music and rock music that, that's spread out into clubs and stuff i mean yeah. coming back the other way i don't know if there's as much interest maybe from electronic music in as, as say like you know Avril Alkin at that time sort of traversed traverse the two worlds yeah but then you see you, you do see stuff like you know like uh gavilan reina russ and joining lcd sound system that's for true. some time yeah. there yeah. and then you see um but that's kind of our still from our time there isn't it true mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. You, you do see a lot of electronic musicians who came from band world as well that's what yeah. you just said <laughs> so, yeah i mean i can't you know i guess there's someone like working men's club probably have uh, a foot in electronic music and um, I guess more more club stuff. But in terms of, yeah, it doesn't feel like there's a primal scream kind of, you hmm. know, Weatherall hookup or... Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Weatherall was a, a big important piece of the puzzle there, wasn't they? So... Mm. Yeah. But you, and, you know, I, I do think, having said that, that it, I do get the impression that people listening have, have become more open to to like not being so you know like not being so tribe based there's definitely i think yeah i don't I, it's funny isn't it because i i still feel like maybe people weren't so tribalistic uh, you know before but also people just didn't weren't as uh, open to talk about it like everyone yeah. was like yeah. you know listening to Metallica and Erasure. Yeah. They probably said that they were just listening to Metallica yeah. or Erasure. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of that Limmy sketch that I sent to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so good that. There's, um, a, there's a Scottish artist called Limmy. Are you familiar? I love Limmy, yeah. He, he, he keeps retweet, he still retweets that Daft Punk tweet about like <laughs> the sound of the sound summer. Of the summer. <laughs> have, you, have you seen his aha sketch? <laughs> no, but I'm going to check it out in a minute afterwards. Yeah. 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 <laughs> should watch the linear art sketch because it was definitely going on back in the day yeah. <laughs> how's the how is berlin at the moment it's yeah it's it's like um it's it's like how it was but it's different um if that makes sense like everything's open again but because we've had two years where everything's been shut um you kind of notice like as a slightly older person here like notice that Whereas like say clubbing, it was just always really fluid. You mm. wouldn't really notice sort of new people coming in so much because yeah. it was just, you kind of notice a bit more now how things have changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, but at the same time as that, it's it's still crazy, wacky, exciting, dirty, smelly, but- 
and the and the Bergheim is still uh, alive and well. It's alive and well. It's lost a little bit of its sheen. I think a lot of some, obviously because of the two-year gap, some people that used to go aren't going now. Uh, which right. is natural. And yeah. I think there was some magazine thing where for the first time ever, it's not in the top 10 of world clubs. But I think oh, wow. that's kind of an academic thing. But I think it also kind of says there's probably been, there are like other clubs that have kind of sort of opened up and doing something slightly different or yeah. maybe, you know, like they're a little bit more inclusive in a different way and things like that. So, but I mean, yeah, it's it's still the same. You could still have... Uh, the same kind of experience here and uh, the same values, I'd say, still. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Looking forward to coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have, you got, have you got any dates coming up in, in Berlin? Yeah, we actually we this one in it's end of, end, middle of October. I can't Brilliant. Remember. Okay. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a while since you've been to Berlin. Okay, so that was Elliot Williams and Benjamin John Power from Editors talking with me, Paul Hanford, for Lost and Sound. We had that conversation ah, about a week or so ago. The album EBM is out on September the 23rd. And really, really enjoyed that chat. Really, really nice. Really, really nice chaps there. Uh, yes, uh, so I went and had a little listen to both versions of Hot Butter as well. And... I think my, my initial my initial sort of reflections on it was that the Gershon Kingsley version is really, really sort of spacey and echoey. And yes, the, the, the Hot Butter version is kind of sort of, which it turns out is made by one of the people that was involved in the Gershon Kingsley version, is really, really sort of like crisper and it has that sort of beat, um, which, you know, I don't know why I said military. It's not military at all, but it's it's got a, like, a pace to it. And I'd like to thank... Jasmine for helping out arrange that interview and approaching me in the first place. Thanks to ESO for the music. Lost and Sound is presented and produced and everything by me. And if you enjoyed listening, you can subscribe to my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Paul Hanford, where you get extra regular mini episodes, access to field diaries, occasional video episodes. My book, Coming to Berlin, is out now on Velocity Press. And this episode is proudly sponsored by Audio-Technica, celebrating their 60th anniversary. Still a family-run company, makers of headphones, turntables, cartridges, microphones, stuff that I use, stuff that you use, stuff that, well, I presume you most likely use, and stuff that is really, 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 really good. Head on over to audiotechnica.com, wherever you are in the world. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I'll chat to you again soon.